If you uh, have your Bibles with you, uh, electronically or analog, uh, turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians today. Uh, our study is going to be focused on Philippians only, so we're not going to be jumping around to something else. Go ahead and turn there now, and we'll start at chapter 1. While you're doing that, I'll let the uh, folks in audiovisual know that I'm not going to be moving around. I'm going to stay behind the pulpit. Now, that's not a... That's not putting anybody else down. When I took this assignment, I didn't remember that I was going to have cataract surgery. Thus, the really cool professor spectacles that I know everybody's jealous of right now. And so if I'm out here walking around, there's no doubt I would be stepping off and falling on my face and we'd have a real fiasco on our hands. So I'm going to stay in one place today. And when I get the other eye done uh, in three weeks, uh, we're going to have a lottery, whoever wants these really cool spectacles, uh, and we'll give the money to a good charity, all right? Philippians chapter 1. Now, now chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul used three really important words to introduce that. Uh, and he's, he used these three words, following my example, following my example. And so I want us to think about following somebody's example. And so it's pretty easy for us to understand that we ask our children to follow our example. Uh, you know, we want to follow the example of Christ. Paul was, as far as I know, the only biblical individual bold enough to say, follow my example. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. I want you to do what I do. I want you to think this way, because I want to share with you something that will literally change your life. I want to share with you something that's going to be so fantastic, but you have to get ready for it. You have to get ready for it in a special way. And part of that is going to be following my example. So what we're going to do in this study of Philippians, we're going to, we're going to, this is not an exegete of the book. We're just going to be jumping around from verse to verse to begin to get an idea of what Paul is talking about. He's going to lay some groundwork here that I think is going to be really good. Let's, let's begin in chapter one, beginning in verse 12, when he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, the church at Philippi was the very first European continent church that Paul uh, established. And as far as we know, this is a good bunch of people. I mean, we don't have a whole lot of garbage and trash on the Philippian church. They're a good bunch of folks. But Paul, because of his boldness in preaching the gospel, has gotten himself again in jail. And he's in jail in Rome. He's in prison in Rome. And so he's writing this, uh, this book from Rome. And he's talking to them about it. And he's sharing with them, uh, the Philippian church, some very encouraging words. And, of course, in chapter 3, he says, following my example. And then he goes on and talks about some other things. So from, from prison, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that... What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, knowing in a minute that he's going to talk about how we ought to follow his word, we go back to this first chapter and he says, Hey, don't worry about me being in prison. I'm in prison. And guess what? It's actually advancing the gospel. This is good stuff. 
Now, I can't think of a time in my life when I've thought, you know, I really ought to go to prison so I can advance the gospel. I really think good things ought to happen so, you know, because I get to go to jail. Yay! Well, I don't think Paul was thrilled about going to jail, but you know what? His example is, since I'm here, guess what's going to happen? And by the way, people in Caesar's palace were converted to the Lord because Paul was in jail. There's some powerful things happening here. And so if he's going to ask them to follow his example, then he's going to begin to set the stage for that example. And setting the stage for that example is, no matter what goes on in your life, use it to advance the gospel. Let it be a blessing to others. Let it be a blessing to the world. Let it be something that God says, yes, I can use you in any situation, anywhere, under any circumstances. I know today we try to make everything just perfect. You know, when it's all just right, when everything's wonderful, then I'm going to do some good things for God. Or if this happens and this happens, then I'm going to let that blessing be for God. Paul let his situation be a blessing to God and to others, no matter where he was, no matter what the situation was. It doesn't make any difference. Look down in, in verse 21 of, of, uh, of chapter 1. He says, for, he, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, if I'm going to go on living in the body, uh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, uh, what shall I choose? I do not know. He said, I'm, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. That means die. I, de- I desire to, de- to de- uh, depart and be with Christ, which is far better But it is more necessary uh, for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue uh, with all of you uh, for your progress and joy in, in, in your faith. So not only is he giving God the glory and doing great things while he's in prison... But he's also saying, you know, I also have this other dilemma going on. And we know that Paul may have had or probably had some physical ailments because he prayed that God would remove those that thorn from his flesh. And God said, no, my grace is good enough for you. But, you know, he's also been beaten. You know, he was he's almost dead several times. He's been in prison a number of times. And so all of a sudden he brings death up to the Philippian church. And he says, hey, I'm torn between the two. I could go on and be with Christ. And you know what? That would be awesome. That would be great for me. Let's do that. But I know that it would probably be better if I stay and I can work with you and we can work together and we can advance the gospel. So I'm certain that I'm going to be staying. So he's given us two things to think about his life already before he says, uses the three words following my example. He's talking about advancing the gospel. He's talking about doing great things no matter what the situation was. And he's also talking about life and death. And he's saying, you know what? I kind of look forward to that. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to pass on to the next world. But it's apparent that I'm needed here. So I'll happily stay with you Philippians. I mean, can you imagine getting a letter like that? He's beginning to set the stage for some fantastic things. Look at, look at, the, look at verse 27 
uh, of the first uh, first uh, the chapter here as well. He says, whatever happens, now he's, been, he's already been talking about whether I live or die. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So, hey, I may die, I may come back to you, but whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He could stop right there and and his, his information to the Philippians would be over. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could say that to each other as well. We could encourage one another by saying, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that's the end of the story. Because if I did that, then everything I did would be for the glory of God. Everything I did would be good. Everything I did would would shine a light on God for others to come to him. You see what I'm saying? He's setting the stage for some fantastic information. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Look down in chapter uh, 2, beginning in verse 3. He tells them, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility... Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the other. Now he's beginning to get a little more personal, and he's getting a little more direct. Rather than just saying, live worthy of the gospel, he's beginning to get into specifics here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the statistics would be, but I would guess that selfishness is probably at the root of nearly every sin. It's at the root of nearly every crime. I want what you have, so I'm going to come get it. It's at the root of my own personal desires, my, my, my wrong desires, my sinful desires. It's what I want. And he's telling them, hey, let's not do that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, what should I do? Value others above yourselves. So, if I'm going to live a life worthy of the gospel, one of the things that I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start looking out for others. And I'm going to look for their best interest. Oh, by the way, that's the definition of agape love. I'm going to look out for your best interest, not just mine. And by the way, he's not saying don't look out for your own interest. He's saying look out for the... Interest of others as well, not only your own. That each of you can work together, that each of you can strive together, that each of you can live your life in God and be what he wants you to do. So, so he's, he's, he's beginning to build and build and build this case. All right, let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse beginning in verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling. That is not my picture. That is, that is not me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. All right, so we're going to live for the gospel. We're going to do everything in the the name of the gospel. We're, We're not going to do things out of selfish ambition. We're going to do things for other people. And by the way, we're going to quit grumbling. We're going to quit fussing about it. We're going to quit arguing about it. 
so that we can become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Sounds good, doesn't it? Listen, look at those words. Blameless, pure, without fault. Blameless, pure, without fault. We can just keep repeating that. That's, that's what we want to be. That's who we want to be. That's the position we want our lives to be in. Pure, uh, blameless, pure, and without fault. But he sets the stage for those. He says, in a warped and crooked generation. Can we identify with that? In a warped and crooked generation? Israel is falling apart. Okay? Paul was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. And Paul also addressed almost all of his teachings to the Gentiles. In other words, to those who were living in the Roman Empire. And we all know about the corruption of the Roman Empire. It was a godless empire. We understand all that. So he's saying to them, live according to God's way. Live pure and blameless and without fault in that society. I don't think societies have changed since then. I don't think anything is different. I think all societies, no offense to good old us, I think all societies are warped and crooked. I don't know any of the societies that live for God, that, that keep God as the standard for their, for their will, for their laws, for the way they treat people. I don't think anybody does that. And I think with every society, it goes from bad to worse. So here's an instruction that, that he's giving to them under this corrupt Roman empire. He's in jail, really for no reason other than preaching the gospel. He's in jail, and he's, he's giving glory to God. He's telling folks how to live, and he's saying, you can do everything without grumbling, even though your surroundings are horrible. Even though your surroundings are bad. Officer, I was not speeding. Yes, you were. I have it on radar. No, I was not speeding. I know I, know I was not speeding. You know, we tend to gripe and grumble about everything, don't we? You know? I'm not eating there again because I think they undercooked the potatoes. We gripe about everything. Paul says as we approach life in a spiritual way, stop grumbling. And especially among yourselves, you are the family of God. Learn to get along. Learn to get along with one another and move forward. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you can be blameless. Now, I'm getting from this. Let me exegete a little bit out of this. I'm saying, he's saying, do everything without grumbling and blaming so you may become blameless and pure children of God. How are you going to do that? Quit grumbling. Quit complaining. What's one of the foundational issues of becoming a pure and blameless body of God and individual within God's kingdom? Quit grumbling, quit grumbling and complaining. Start to put those two together. Put, quit grumbling and complaining. Live for God. Live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live worthy of that gospel, okay? Well, let's keep going. Let's jump into chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. Now he's getting really personal. He's, he's not telling them what to do. He's telling them what he has done and the position in life that he has taken. Listen to this. But whatever, uh, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss 
for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He uses a very strong word for garbage here. It's the word dung. I can just consider it dung. All the things that I could have gained. Well, what did Paul gain? We don't know. We know he was a fairly educated man. We know he was well respected in the Hebrew nation. But he was, we know he was out, you know, trying to round up the Christians and keep the faith of Judaism pure. We know he was, he was well respected in that. I don't know what he had, but he said, whatever I had, I counted as rubbish. It's all gone. I counted as garbage. It's all gone. I don't care anything about that anymore. What I care about is knowing Christ. I, 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 I want to be considered worthy of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now, don't take this that you have to go sell your house and your car and all that kind of stuff. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying put it in perspective. Nothing you have is more valuable than your relationship to God. Nothing that you have is more valuable than your relationship to God, knowing Him. So, what's Paul's example here? Paul says, "Hey, you know, how could he go to how could he go to jail? How could he uh, how could he he keep from taking a wife?" He said, "I'm not even going to take a wife because it would it would hinder me in my work. How could he go to jail and be happy and and t- tell people that he's teaching the gospel in jail because all the other things in life are garbage to him." The only thing in life that really counts is him knowing Christ and having that relationship with him. I mean, is that pretty cool or what? Can we say that that's our position as well? He's building to this crescendo, okay? Paul is building to this among the, uh, the Philippian church, all right? So therefore, we get to the scripture reading, chapter 3. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. I'm not going to read the rest of it. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. He's been, I've just touched on a few of the things that he's talked about. Just a very few of them, all right? So the question is, is there a secret to following Paul's example? I mean, what's your secret, Paul? If, if you watch any in television at all, it, they're always revealing a secret. You ever notice that? What's the secret to a youthful look? You know? What's the secret to uh, staying young longer? Do you ever try some of that anti-aging cream? Just, when you get up in the morning and take a shower, just rub that all over you. And the next day, you're still going to be a day older. Right? (laughs) You're still going to be a day older. But there's always a secret to something. And we're going to tell you the secret to looking good. We're going to tell you the secret to having lovely hair. You know, we're going to tell you the secret to this. Well, what's the secret? Okay, Paul, tell us what in the world the secret is. Well, before we do that, let's look at worldly wants and things, all right? In in 2016, the Huffington Post, not my favorite book, uh, uh, paper, but Huffington Post asked... uh, what people wanted in life, uh, but can't seem to get. What do you want in life that you can't seem to get? So here's the top ten, all right? Number ten, they wanted passion. 
Well, what was the biggest challenge to their passion? Overcoming feelings of ineptitude and negativity because of career setbacks. Okay, They wanted passion, but did you notice that passion is, is attached to their career? Did you get that? What was number nine? Number nine was stability. Nothing wrong with that. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of these answers. It's the... How do we get there? That's the problem, all right? So what's their, what did they say their biggest challenge was? Figuring out what to do next to keep me afloat to be a bridge to my later years in retirement. All right, we want stability, all right? What about the next one? What's number eight? Confidence. I want confidence. What's the biggest challenge to that? Feeling like I have something to offer now rather than feeling constantly as if I'm not ready and I need more training. I don't know if that had to do with jobs or more training for their marriage or, you know, I don't know what that meant. But do you see, do you, all these things are good, but do you see the, the underlying foundation of all of them? What was, number, what was number seven? Fulfillment. I want fulfillment. What was the biggest challenge to your fulfillment? Utilizing my potential in the best possible way for myself and others. Bingo. I like that one. That's a godly one as far as I'm concerned. What was number six? Number six was uh, balance. What was their biggest challenge to having balance? Balancing my needs, desires for flexibility while making enough money and having the benefits I want. A little financial peace university would probably help out there. And we have that going on. Or we're going to have it going on soon. I forgot the dates. What was the number five? Joy. What's the biggest talent challenge to joy? How to find the right role or position for me now that will bring joy to my work. So we're back to wanting to have good fulfillment in work. And I'm not against that. I'm not, not putting any of that down. But this is what the world says joy is. What's number four? Peace. What's the biggest challenge? Lack of clarity about who I am and my purpose. Okay. What's number three? Freedom. We all want freedom. What's the biggest challenge? Having the freedom to find uh, uh, having the freedom to find my new, per- my true purpose. What's number two? Of course, money. What's the biggest challenge? Not having enough money or time to accomplish the things I want to accomplish. You know, these are all wonderful as far as I'm concerned, but they're all earthly based, right? They're not spiritual based. What's the number one? The number one uh, uh, want of people was happiness. And what's the biggest challenge? Not knowing what I want to do. So, you know, from a from an earthly standpoint, it's easy for us to answer any or all of those. And to whatever degree they intended that, it's okay. We get that. We all kind of go through some of those things. But what's the secret to Paul's contentment? What's the secret to Paul teaching them about him being able to go to prison and give glory to God and, 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 and not caring about the things of the earth, but putting his faith and his trust only in knowing God and wanting them to follow his example? Was this his example? This would be the example of folks of the world. But the example of Paul would be found in chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. This is the foundation for why he was able to say, following my example. This goes back now. This is the heart. This is the meat of it, okay? Look at verse 10. He says, I want, and he didn't list all those other things 
that people listed from the survey of the Huffington Post. He said, I want to know Christ. If you're, if you're marking, taking notes or marking your Bibles, that's number one. I want to know Christ. And by the way, that word know is a very, if, if you use the King James Version, chapter 3 of Genesis verse 1 says, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a child. That's the intimacy of the word know. Okay, can you get that now? He said, I want to know Christ. I want to be intimate with Christ. I want to, I want to know him. I want to know who he is. You know, I would imagine the vast majority, maybe, of people of the world, if you said, hey, do you know who Jesus Christ is? Yeah, oh yeah, I know who he is. He was that guy in the Bible or he was that guy in Israel or whatever. That's not knowing Christ. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. If we know who Jesus Christ is, if we understand who he is, if we listen to him, if we observe him, if we become intimate with our Christ, then we can understand what he wants for us. I want to know Christ, number one. Number two, he says, is I want to know the power of his resurrection. Now, if you remember, in, in the book of John, uh, Mary, you know, the ladies came back and said, Hey, Jesus is, we went to, you know, we went to the, to the tomb. We were going to finish preparing him and he's gone. And what happened? Peter and John took off running for the tomb. They knew where it was. They took off running to the tomb. John outran Peter. Got there first. Looked in. He's not here. Peter caught his breath. Came up second. Looked in. He's not here. Now, I'm making this up right now. But if Paul was there, Paul would have probably beaten both of them. And when he looked in... He, I can imagine what Paul would have said. He would have said, how did he do that? How did he do that? I saw him put in here. How did he do that? This, here's, we're getting a, an intimate look in, 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 into Paul here when he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. How many of us want to know how he did that? We just know he did. Paul says, I want to know how he did that. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Where did that come from? I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And then he says something really weird. This puts us on the outs with Paul, okay? He says, and participate in his suffering. There's number three. Number one, I want to know Christ. Number two, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Number three, and participate in his sufferings. Now we can understand when Paul said, I want to know Christ. We get the intimacy of that a little bit more. Paul not only wanted to know how he did that, how did he, was he resurrected? He wanted to know the power of that, but he said, I want to participate in his sufferings. You want to participate in the sufferings of Christ? Jesus said, hey, to his disciples, hey, you think, you think they treated me bad. You guys are in big trouble. You want to know the, the suffering? You want to participate in the suffering of Jesus Christ? Paul said, I want to. And guess what? He did. He got his wish. And I think perhaps by his suffering and by the punishment he received, I think he even knew Christ more and more and more. How could Paul ask the Philippians... 
to follow his example because he wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know the power of his resurrection, and he wanted to participate in his sufferings. And number four, he wanted to become like him in death. Now, would that be a spiritual connotation? You know, you know the baptism, would that be the spiritual connotation? I want to go into the water and I want to spiritually die. I think Paul wanted to know Christ so intimately, he was ready to do what? He was ready to go to the grave for Paul. I mean, for Christ. He was ready to go. If the Romans had grabbed him out of the jail just as he was pinning these things and said, we're going to hang you upside down on a cross or we're going to cut your head off or whatever, I think he said, let's get it on. He wanted to know. He wanted to participate with Christ that much. You and I have trouble. I'm sorry we have trouble getting that, don't we? We just have trouble getting that. But that's how intimately, intimately, he wanted to know Christ. And that's who Paul was. And then he ended that by saying, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. What did Paul want? He wanted to do the Christ thing. He wanted to be like Christ. He wanted to really know him. He wanted to participate in his sufferings. He wanted to become like him in death. Then he wanted to be resurrected. Now, was he jealous of Jesus? Did he want to just trade place with him? No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about. This is a spiritual thing. He wants to be like Christ. He's looking forward to, and, and he's looking forward to this all happening in his life. And because he has this attitude of these five things, because he has this attitude, then he can go to prison. Then he can tell people, he can do whatever he needs to do. And he can teach the gospel and he can love people and he can, whatever. Because this is his attitude. So from this, from this, He can say to them, chapter 3, verse 17, following my example. Oh, my. So that's why I love Paul. Because Paul doesn't just talk about it. Paul gets very intimate, intimate with the gospel. Gets very intimate with the lives of his friends, his brothers and sisters. Very intimate with our Savior. And he says, I'm ready to go. And he did. By the way, he did. He did. He hadn't resurrected yet, but he's done all the other things. And his resurrection certainly will come. So what does he say in chapter 3 and verse 12, the next verse? He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already uh, already, uh, arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul was a motivational speaker. Now, the things he asks of his people is a little troubling if you're, if you're of an earthly mind. It's a little troubling. But if you're of a spiritual mind, it's very motivational. And he says, so since I'm not there yet, since I haven't attained all this yet, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. The picture is like somebody crossing the finish line, you know, that, that knows when. We're just running so hard. He said, I'm going to cross that line. I'm going to finish. I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. That's who Paul is. Bless Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle. You know, he wrote 14 books of the New Testament. And I think there's a reason why God picked on Paul. To write so many letters and so many lessons 
for Christians throughout the ages. This was 2,000 years ago, guys. So, so many ages that we can live them today and we can see them today and we can understand what is our role? What are, what are we all about? What is life all about? Paul lays it on the line and he puts it extremely powerfully. Following my example. Are we ready to follow Paul's example? You know, all of us have to make a commitment in our lives, and it can only be a personal commitment. I can't make it for you. You can't make it for me. But Paul encourages us, and we can encourage one another to follow that example. And that example was the example of Jesus Christ. Paul lived for that. Would you live for Jesus Christ? Would you follow that example? Brothers and sisters, We're here for you if you need help. We're here for you if salvation is your next step. We're here for you if prayers are what you need. We're here for you if a recommitment is necessary to begin following that path that Paul followed so diligently, so diligently that he could say, follow me, follow my example. Come with me. Let's go together as we stand and sing.